you're about to embark on a journey. A certain journey that you definitely would not have done before. This is going to change everything. This may be something you're not used to, maybe quite unusual. This is all about boosting what you view. So get comfortable, close your eyes, and just get ready for the ride. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a co-founder at Calmstorm Ventures and host of today's episode of the Found Her podcast. Today I'm joined by my co-host Lena Venner. Lena is an associate partner at First Minute Capital. She has a strong interest in digital health, SaaS, and artificial intelligence and machine learning. Lena is a Swedish and German national, and at First Minute she is taking the lead on sourcing deals in the German-speaking countries and the Nordics. As always, we'll start out by listening to a founder pitcher startup. We're joined by Ariana Alexander Seffre. Ariana is a serial founder who has been passionate about creating experiences of all kinds since starting her first events business when she was 19 years old. Today, she will talk to us about your company's spoke. Lina, welcome. Thank you so much for having me today. Ariana, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So I guess I'll start the pitch with offering you guys a question. So maybe think about what comes to mind when you think of mental health management. So a lot of people think of things like yoga, meditation, mindfulness, maybe going to therapy, CBT, all of these really important things. The issue we have is that 80% of suicides in the Western world are male. And the practices that are mental health management practices are wrapped in a culture that essentially does not represent or even appeal to the majority of young men. And in fact, many other young people as well. So I, this is my second company. I ran a company for two to two and a half years called Sweat and Sound. And I ran it, um, it was, did really well. And it was a wellness company. We combined live music with well-being experiences. But I really started to see how saturated the wellness industry is with, I guess it's like your older middle-class female. It was when my younger brother's best friend actually committed suicide when they were 15 years old that I started to become very angry at the industry and angry that there's no solutions that really speak to a lot of young people, but predominantly young men. So we had an event at the time. It was a hip hop meditation event. And we actually serendipitously started getting asked to do it over in schools. And we did. And we started creating quite a big buzz around these experiences that essentially were offering mindfulness meditation but in a completely different sound by different people by artists that young people actually want to listen to and that's what sparked the idea of this new form of mindfulness product so a experience that sounds very very different but also feels very different to what's already out there that's when we got our first bit of investment from Bethany Green Ventures we then went on and validated our product we worked with thousands of young people we did loads of incredible things raised our pre-seed last year and essentially our product is this mixture between the utility of a mindfulness app so I guess it's the chore and utility of knowing that you should practice it in order to get the desired results and the entertainment and I guess the soul tingling um, pleasure of listening to a music app and a music product that sounds and lyrics are designed in a way to make you feel 
good to improve your moods to help you overcome bouts of anxiety. And I guess one of the big things is that we work with world famous artists in a very authentic way. So we actually train them by our mental health practitioners and we have a whole process where they create lyrics and then we record exceptional pieces of content that go into the app that essentially utilize what works from the world of science and well-being but is demonstrated through lyrics. On a more holistic and bigger level, we are trying to shift culture. So there is a lot of, I guess, toxic culture within many young populations and it's starting to change. And artists are the people that can push that change to happen. And we don't believe that they're utilized well enough because we don't believe anyone spent the time to figure out how to utilize their talent in a way that actually has impact. So that's, I guess, a lot of the science behind why we're doing what we're doing and how it works. And at this stage, we've been doing our beta. Our beta program has lasted for the last three and a half months. So we launched it in January. We've got a few thousand people on the waiting list, but we've put just over 600 people in now. So we've been doing lots of product testing and I can get into that in a second, but we have learned so much from our users and that's the stage we're in now deep in product learning stuff every day and we're going to be raising our seed in a couple of months time happy to awesome. take any Thank questions you. Um, <laughs> that was a very compelling pitch i have to say thanks for that pitch that that to me that sounds very interesting because what you mentioned is basically that the whole mindfulness and wellness space it's very much geared towards women right towards a more kind of female-centric view of these topics did i understand that correctly You did understand that correctly. Um, and I guess the interesting part is I don't think it's me meaningfully done that way. It's just that the culture has been set. So take Headspace and Calm, for example, over 90% of their users are over age 25 and over 80% are female. And it's, I don't think they meant to do that, but the culture around wellness products, around mindfulness products are geared towards language and a culture that appeals more to women. It's just quite interesting to know that last year in 2020, 10 million men were churned off of Headspace. So that's 10 million men who knew that they wanted to look after their mental health, but it just didn't work for them. And that's what we found in our user surveys that the, and this is just Headspace and Calm, there's plenty of other apps that we've looked at as well. But our users, they've said a very similar pattern of products that they've tried They'll try it because they want to experience looking after their mental health, but it just does not resonate. And I think it's that resonance that is missing in the market. Yeah, I really like what you've done with the brand to make it more appealing to a different demographic. And I actually didn't know what you said about uh, the demographics of people who use Common Headspace, both in terms of socioeconomic, but also gender and age. So I thought that was really interesting. And it does look when you look at it from a macro perspective as if there's really a bit of a gap in the market to address that mental health issue in the younger demographic especially the male demographic no absolutely and to be honest it was all fascinating to me as well but it's something I saw firsthand even not just from the an app perspective but the culture as a whole And I think that's the interesting intersection that we're really feeding into where there actually isn't much research out there. Like there genuinely isn't much research that shows this connection between culture and cultural interests. So we're working in music because music is the biggest cultural interest in the world. And then next is sports. But 
there's plenty of cultural interests that have this connection with mental health and can help people improve their mental health. And as a side note, that's something that I'm actually studying and doing a lot of research on at the moment with Cambridge, who've given me a scholarship to basically look into this field, which I really think can have an impact on a larger social scale, far bigger than the app we're building or I guess any other product. This, this is actually quite obvious, but I never even considered this. I am also one of these people who turned off of Headspace and Calm, actually. But I never considered that it might be because it's just not completely something that resonates with me in the way it's presented and in the way it's geared towards a certain demographic. For some reason, I'd never considered that. I'd be interested in, you just mentioned research that you're doing. Could you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my big passion is understanding how we can create like major social impact and from my perspective it's improving the mental health and the mental health of young people is and especially young men is something that I think is an area that I'm most passionate about obviously because of my own experience with my brother's friend but also there's so much that stems on from that so and just to give you some examples think about prisons so prisons in the UK are majority male and they found that over 85% have mental health concerns. So these mental health concerns, many, and this is statistically, we've spoken to our neuroscientists about this, many could have been prevented with preventative measures earlier on in their life. I mean, think about the way you go to a gym to prevent future physical injuries. This is the exact same thing that people should be doing for their mental health. But when, you know, there's a gym that just feels like not your people aren't there, they don't, they're not playing your kind of music, they don't have your kind of equipment, you're not going to go to that gym. And it's the exact same concept here. And there's a, a whole load of societal issues that you can stem back to young male mental health. And obviously suicide is the pinnacle, which by the way, has increased in the last five years. Every year we have an increase of young male suicides. So I'm interested in this field and I'm also very interested in the power that music and the culture around music has because in fact music and culture go hand in hand if you think about every culture or tradition society around the world usually they will define themselves by their their, their local music and their musicians their musicians actually are the voice piece of their stories and their cultural narrative so this this connection between feeling like you are connected to your own I guess your own culture feeling like people understand you and that improving your mental health they all go hand in hand and this area is just something that I'm at the very beginning of my research here we've got enough work now that we probably could publish something in the next year or so but I want to go really really deep with this because I honestly think that society as a whole and I actually mean governments are missing a huge opportunity to create mass impact social impact because they don't appreciate or maybe even understand the value of working properly and authentically with cultural leaders and the cultural leaders today are there's many but musicians are the number one form of cultural leader and I could go on and on because I'm, I'm very passionate about this but that kind of gives you an overview of the area I'm looking at and I have written um, a couple of dissertations on it already I gave a TEDx talk on it quite recently which I can obviously send you to link. Ariana could I just ask it just because we're on this thread of actual impact on 
public health, right, which you touched upon. There's obviously quite a lot of solid scientific evidence that like mindfulness-based stress reduction mm-hmm. really works in reducing levels of anxiety and depression and so on. And then when I tested your product, I was just curious, like, how closely you're trying to stick to what MBSR is really about or whether you're thinking about this much more freely in terms of combining music with voice and departing from mindfulness-based stress reduction to some extent because that's obviously quite like a rigid framework typically. I guess to answer your question, our solution is definitely more of a mixture of lots of different techniques. So mindfulness-based stress reduction is one of the techniques that we teach our artists. And it's an important technique and there is proof that it works. However, like you said, it is very rigid. Um, In the same way, there's hundreds of different meditation styles, but a lot of them, you try Vedic meditation and it's a very specific style of meditation. So it will maybe work for you, but as a whole, we found that there's a real power in incorporating various forms of mindful practices. So taking mindfulness, different forms of meditation, CBT techniques as well. So our asking you to frame questions in a certain way and also therapeutic techniques so asking specific questions that help you with reflection etc and then allowing our artist to utilize those techniques but in the way that's most meaningful and authentic to them because I guess the thing especially with our target audience which is probably I would say a very big chunk of the youth population today listening to music and really feeling that resonance with the artist is what you go to music for that's the magic it's like the magic formula of that spine tingling feeling you get when you listen to arts essentially so we don't believe that there needs to be a separation so I guess our method is to work with the artist in a very kind of authentic way to help them stick to their authentic voice but utilize the bits of practices that make the most sense within their piece so as you'll see from our sessions they there are a mixture of bits of meditations there's a couple of breathing exercises there's you know some visualizations a bit of storytelling it might go into some lyrics and it's all wrapped in an overall I guess a music experience that if you had it on in the background it could just feel like you were listening to a really cool lo-fi hip-hop playlist yeah no for sure I really enjoyed actually the content that you had on it as well I thought that was really well done maybe when we're whilst we're on product and I'd love to ask you about the team a little bit later and who's built what and who's leading on what but but just because you've had this beta program with the 500 users I'd love to understand like how you recruited them um what your key learnings were from that beta and I know you you spoke a bit about your power users I'm really curious about them who are they and how are they using it Awesome. Yeah, thanks for asking. So I guess to answer your first question, we did a bunch of social media stuff late last year. So we did some Instagram lives. We did some cool kind of artist interviews and stuff. And we actually managed to get a wait list of over 4,000 people. We actually found that even when we weren't doing much activity, People were finding us organically, word was spreading just through the very small network that we had at the time. And obviously that's a bit bigger now. So we get organically, we get maybe 20, 30 signups every week. And 
bear in mind, we're not spending any money at all. So we're doing a bunch of value proposition tests now on Facebook and Instagram. And then we're going to refine those before we do our first marketing test campaign. So that's in about a month and a half's time. So that's how we got our users. And in terms of the, the people that are in the app testing now, it's actually really cool. So we've basically segmented our users into three different personas. And we've decided to focus on one with our initial sort of test campaigns. But to give you an idea, you might find it quite cool. The first user persona is the unlikely meditator. It's essentially the person who doesn't know what they don't know. So they're somebody who loves music. They're in that kind of culture. They listen to the artists that we work with, but they've never even tried mindfulness. They've never tried meditation. They wouldn't even consider it. A, a really important stat we found when we did some user research last year, we interviewed just over 300 young men and over 90%, so 92% said that they didn't think mindfulness or meditation was for them, which we just found fascinating. We were like, oh gosh, this is just validating what we thought. Um, so the unlikely meditator is that person, and actually it doesn't matter what age they are, that they've just never tried anything like this. So we are their initiation into this type of experience. And then we've got the open-minded newbie. So this is somebody who is at the very beginning of their mindfulness journey. They've maybe realized that they'd like to start looking after their mental health. They have maybe downloaded an app. Maybe it didn't work for them. And they're just curious. They're open-minded. They're willing to try something new, but they don't yet have a practice that works for them. And then the third person is the mindful explorer. So this is probably someone maybe more like myself, who's tried a lot of different meditation styles, tried lots of different mindfulness styles, kind of knows what works for them and what doesn't and uses spoke because this is something brand new and very different to what they already experienced. So it adds like a, a new dynamic and out of the three personas, we've decided that our true target audience for now is the open-minded newbie because this is probably the biggest mass market at the moment mm -hmm. eventually we obviously want to target the unlikely meditator we want to bring that person on board and the mindful explorer is very low-hanging fruit so we we can capture those guys 100% anyway but this middle person we think is the open-minded newbie is really our magic sweet spot so we are currently running a bunch of value proposition campaigns we're getting lots of data feedback that's a project that we're going to complete in about two and a half weeks from now and and just to name some of the stats with our beta as well we actually have a 42 percent month-on-month retention rate which i know sounds it's a lot it's very good bearing in mind we're hand-holding a lot of them at the moment we're we've we're about to open up the floodgates and let you know, a few thousand in. And then we've got slightly lower seven day and slightly lower 30 day retention. But all in all, our data is looking actually really good for right now. Um, and 32% say they'd be very disappointed if we were to disappear. <laughs> so we need, we're going to boost that up to 40. And I'd love to double click on retention because I know with a lot of consumer health apps that are largely behavioral, this can be a real challenge and ultimately it costs you a lot to acquire a new user and then they churn away. You mentioned churn in Headspace earlier on. Um, what do you think is a sort of 
acceptable retention, 30 day retention, that you would feel comfortable pouring dollars into marketing and really getting this out there? When do you think your funnel is watertight enough that you're, you'll be good to go on scaling? Yeah, so I guess market average headspaces, 30 day retention is 8%. So we are looking at the 10% mark for our 30-day retention. We believe that once we can hit that, then we're in a very good position to start pumping more money into marketing. I, I guess that's the main area we're working on at the moment because, yeah, you're completely right. That retention really is a very crucial um, metric for us to achieve. Mm, yeah, I think it's the biggest one, probably the biggest one to crack with these kinds of products. No, absolutely. Yeah. There's a number of things that we're doing to make it very sticky, very interactive. Our program is in the middle of being developed at the moment. And we are confident that we're going to be able to hit those metrics. I'm really excited for when we open the floodgates, do our first test campaign and bring an extra maybe two, three thousand people into the app and just start testing with those bigger numbers. Because I think we're going to learn a whole bunch of stuff then. I'd be interested in, in your team when you say we, who is that? The elusive, the elusive we. Um, I remember when with my first company, before I'd hired anyone, I remember answering the phone and people were like, can I speak to your marketing department? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Thankfully, that's not the case any longer. So my co-founder, Michael, so we actually met through our chairman, Tom Adiula, who is an exceptional mentor and he was our lead investor. So Michael and I actually met through him. He has nearly 20 years of experience in consumer apps. So he ran a publishing, an app publishing company before this company um, and he had over 20 million downloads in the app store he's a product person so he manages our tech team which are over in Poland so we do outsource the tech team at the moment um, we'll probably be hiring in-house within our seed but for now we, we don't need to because they really are exceptional so that's myself and Michael we basically fundraised together last year and then we hired our core team which is Miles who is our executive producer so Miles is actually an Ivan Novello nominated producer he was signed to Sony for four years he's produced some of the biggest albums in UK hip-hop so he really is a force within the music industry. He knows everyone. Um, he produced all of our sounds, which we get a lot of compliments on because they are exceptional quality. Um, and then Lemzy, I've actually worked with Lemzy for a few years. So he actually did some of the original events before we even became a company. And he's our lead lyricist and lead artist. So about 80% of the lyrics and the voice you hear on Spoke is his voice. His talent for lyricism is just second to none. And he's basically leading our artist onboarding strategy. We're going to be onboarding top tier artists, taking them through a really cool Spoke experience before putting them in the studio. We have a, an exceptional designer as well and an exceptional creative director, so Misha and Jess. So all in all, we are a team of six and then we're surrounded by some brilliant advisors. We're very, very lucky to have an incredible team and not just that, but a team of people who really care about what we're doing and really see the vision and care about the impact that we're already seeing that we can have on young people and society, hopefully in general. I think it's really clear that you care. It definitely comes through. I don't know if we can talk a little bit about the content strategy 
and how you're thinking about building that library of content for Spoke. What makes an artist want to work with you? How does that impact your cost structure? Sometimes content businesses can be quite costly. I would love to just better understand your strategy on all things content going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So actually, this is something I I meant to mention at the very beginning, that one of the things that I guess validated us at the beginning was we had, once we started getting out there and chatting to people in the music industry, we had over 200 artists apply to work with us because we realized that there's this interesting, almost parallel of what we're doing, where artists are some of the most influential people for young people but artists also suffer with some of the poorest mental health because the music industry is not fit for looking after mental health just think about how music contracts and royalties are set up and distributed it's it's really not a system that is best for artists mental health because of what we're doing and because of our very authentic way of working with artists there is an abundance of interest so There actually hasn't been an artist, touch wood, till this point that I've spoken to that's not wanted to work with us. So I guess that part, getting the artists on board is fairly easy once we're in front of them. One of our advisors who's on our team, an incredible guy called Prie, he's very senior at Columbia Records. He's actually working with us to bring on board really incredible top tier artists. He's created a shortlist for us and we've been going through them. And that's our main way of bringing on board incredible artists. Obviously, as well as through our own network. And I guess the reason why they'd want to work with us is there's the first reason, which is the overall vision of creating sounds and music that actually do help young people. Music in general actually has changed quite significantly in the past 10 years. So there's been a real spike in lyrics that reference mental health. So more and more artists over the past five to 10 years have begun realizing that their lyrics matter, like their lyrics genuinely can change a person's mental headspace. I mean, even think, for example, your like what were your favorite songs when you were 13, 14, 15, 16? I, I guarantee you probably remember all the lyrics. That's just how much impact an artist's lyrics and sound, behavior online, personal brand can affect a young person behavior and even their thoughts in their head so they know that they are already making a change by creating music about mental health so you can see that with many artists already talk about mental health this is literally happening and I don't believe anyone has yet authentically gone and said hey look yet let's utilize this let's turn this into a platform really make a technology product that can actually reach millions of people and do it differently and the way that we work with them is a process that we've developed that essentially allows them to explore a mental health issue of their choosing so maybe as an artist they are passionate about overcoming a certain mental health disorder such as anxiety ADHD depression maybe it's about relationships maybe they are passionate about things like alcohol abuse or something like that and they will work with our mental health practitioners to think about their 
passion, think about their story in a way that can then be transferred into lyrics that can then help young people. That process in itself is actually very therapeutic for the artists. We, we speak to a number of la labels, some of the biggest labels in the world, actually. And we've been in conversations about potentially creating something that can be utilised by more artists. So that's something that we've really got in the back of our heads that we think, OK, you know, we're doing this with a number of artists for our platform, but we know there's a very big opportunity here that sits in the music industry that we believe we will be able to leverage in time once we've proven our initial phase. Once again, this is another thing that I could talk about for hours because it's really interesting and I guess it's really cool, but I hope that answers your question. Does, no, definitely. And it kind of leads in seamlessly into your user acquisition strategy, because to some extent, if you're getting these big names on, they will, I presume, bring their own audience with them, right? But then how are you thinking for the remainder of users that you're looking to acquire, what channels will work best? And is that something where you've been able to do some testing around or you've got some hypotheses around how that's likely going to play out once you, as you said, open the floodgates? That's a really great question. And our go-to-market is one of the areas I'm most excited about just because there's going to be some huge amounts of learning um, in the next three weeks as we get these kind of tests results back from our ads. So our kind of go-to-market strategy is on the top tier is our commercial artist onboarding. So like you said, they will bring their audiences with them. There's lots of really creative ways that we can target their audiences through different ads, but also meaningful influencer campaigns as well. So that's on the kind of top tier. And then on the other tier, we're going to be doing community engagement activities. So in our first year, we're planning to essentially stay in kind of public beta our main performance mechanism is the referral engine that we're building we're going to be enlisting some incredible community leaders across the UK and running some really quite aggressive referral campaigns and referral programs I'm even thinking of looking at part of our EMI pool for our community leaders which I really want our leaders to feel like a, a valid part of Spoke and of Spoke's growth within these communities doing these really authentic pocket campaigns so a pocket community it, it might be a university so we already have partnerships with three universities in the country building these very strong relationships through key leaders within these pocket communities running really cool activations linking the top tier artists with the communities to generate a load of hype and then fanning all those flames with this referral engine which we're building and something that I guess I'll mention before I um, stop speaking about this is we really believe in the, the value of being of service to others and a key proponent of mental health and of feeling good within yourself is knowing that you can help others and knowing that you can be of service to your friends or your community if they need you. So we're looking at ways of the referral actually being a segment of a spoke episode that you feel would really resonate with one of your friends. So let's say there's a part of a spoke episode that I feel like would resonate with one of you. I could send that segment to you to listen to and then that would be your referral to come into the 
app. So we're looking at various ways to highlight that idea of looking after yourself and also being able to look after the people around you as well. There's actually, there's so much to talk here about. Um, for example, I can totally see Jay-Z doing an episode about CBT. I think that, that really can work and also has a lot of potential to become quite large, I feel. I'm interested in your fundraising strategy and what are you going to use the money for? Also, please talk to us a little bit about who's still missing in your team. Yeah, sure. So in terms of fundraising strategy, we raised our pre-seed last year. We raised the second part of it at the beginning of this year. We're planning to raise our seed in about two months time because we think that we'll just have enough traction and enough data to essentially get us the valuation that we want. We are in conversations with um, a couple of investors about basically adding to our current pre-seed, which will mean that there's a couple of things that we can do a little bit earlier, such as in put the paywall in, start testing the paywall out, which we weren't planning to do until post-seed, and also run a little bit more of our marketing, our initial campaign. Things change quite fast, but our current fundraising strategy is to raise our seed in two months and really try and wait for the right seed investor. Where's the money going to? So I... what are you going to use the money for that you're raising uh, in the next round? Um, and can, can tying into that, who's still missing from your team? The seed money is going into, firstly, team, of course, content, marketing, and then product. There's a bunch of quite big product iterations and management that will be a priority. And then all of our marketing will be post-seed as well. The seed really will be to launch this. And then in terms of team members, I am actively looking for a senior marketing, the director level marketing person. So that's someone um, that I, I will need to hire into our leadership team. Our system does work right now, but we are actively looking for our in-house development team as well. I'd love, Ariane, to understand what you think with the funds that you'll be raising, you can prove and whether that will get you all the way to Series A. And do you have some sense of what metrics those Series A investors would love to see in the app in terms of usage and engagement and retention and so on to fund you at the next stage? I guess the first thing is we plan to validate that there really is mass market for this. What we're doing isn't niche. We, we know that now. What we're doing really has massive commercial um, opportunity. And I guess the things that we really want to prove is that we can access the audience that we know are out there. Within the next 18 months and post-seed, the key metrics we're looking at are our seven day and 30 day retention. I guess there's quite a lot of metrics that we can consider and it, it might change, but I feel like those are the, I guess the 30 day mainly will is, be the one. There, that... and, and sorry to, to um, sort of interject there, but is there thoughts around monetization? We didn't speak much about business model, but do you think you need to prove proper willingness to pay for some sort of premium tier or are you looking to when you said you're going to keep it in some sort of public beta and at first is it all going to be free for the foreseeable future the next 18 months or so yep sorry we didn't get into the business model so it is a freemium offering so we'll have a constant rotation of free sort of experiences but we will be 
of course, encouraging people to purchase the subscription, which is going to be reasonably priced at $3.99 a month. However, uh, we have been in talks, and this isn't in our current business model because um, we're, we're kind of keeping the subscription model as our main business model, but we have already been in talks with lots of sponsorship brands. So just to give you an example, there's like a, a major fashion label, and we're looking at doing a mindfulness and fashion consumption series. So we, you know, have an artist who's very passionate about fashion, about the fashion industry. So there's lots of meaningful content and series that we can do. And so we believe sponsorship will be a big part of it. Another thing is we actually got approached last year to do the wellness offering for a record label. And they actually have a Headspace membership at the moment for their whole company. And they basically said that not enough people were using it. They were looking for something different. They couldn't really find anything different. They were like, can we do it? And obviously we, we were not ready for that last year. We're not ready for it now. And it's also not in our, it's not our prime objective to have a corporate offering. But we also know that Headspace makes 50% of its revenue through their corporate offering. So by next summer, so once we've done the year of really authentic community building, then we're going to launch our B2B corporate offering, which we, we know that's going to be a part of our revenue from 2022 onwards. Curious how that will match with your target demographic, but I guess... Gen Z, they're all coming into work now as well. well. Yeah, they really are the workforce now. And the amount of Gen Z focused companies or workforces that are full of Gen Z out there, there definitely is a gap for something that's just a bit different. That's, you know, maybe going to resonate more with them. So we don't actually see it being opposing to the audience we're already going for. We think there is a big overlap there. I guess it's just a slightly different strategy, which we're going to focus on after the initial direct-to-consumer approach. I realize we haven't spoken too much about is whether you have done any testing on what you think it'll cost you to acquire a customer through the traditional channels that's actually something that we are testing at the moment so we have some like hypothesis but our testing right now is where we're going to start getting deeper on that anyway yeah awesome excellent ariana i think it's uh, time to say goodbye now Um, great thanks thanks a lot that was great Uh, i really enjoyed that really thank you very much and really great to chat with you both (laughs) Thanks so Thank much. much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Just breathe. Like, that's it. That's all I need. Breathe. Yeah, just follow me. Breathing in. So I. That's it. Just breathe. Okay, so Nina, what do you think? What's your first impression? Michael, what do you think? Um. <laughs> I, uh, well, first of all, I thought she was very engaging. She had good reasons for why she was doing this. I liked the fact that she started with Sweat and Sound. She's built another company before. I didn't have time to look into too much into what she was doing there exactly before, but it, I think in terms of the overall space, that made a lot of sense. And then obviously with the tragedy of her brother's friend, I like when people have personal reasons for why they're solving a specific problem. 
So that I thought was great. I also felt that there is a space in the market for someone to build a brand targeted at Gen Z, um, talking about or destigmatizing mental health issues. And that is just using a slightly different brand language from what the more traditional apps around meditation are doing. So I, I, I buy that as an overall concept. I also think that there's a lot of money here. Willingness to pay, obviously, with that generation is probably a bit lower than it would be in the demographic that Headspace and Congo after because they're in the sort of like 100K plus earners. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I tried the product, which I thought was neat. I think the content was good. I would have liked to understand a little bit better, I think, what it would cost to build really, really good content and a library that keeps people engaged for the long run. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just throwing loads of points here at you that I was taking down whilst we had the meeting. Yeah, that is great. That's great. Um, I, I will probably interject somewhere there and make yeah. some of my own points. Of so course. just keep going. I'll keep going uh, until you stop me. I think the things that I would have liked to talk more about and I still have question marks on is that initial beta user group and Mm. really how they've been using the product because I think it's very, very difficult to build a consumer health product that people really use. Um, Mm -hmm. That's why even the big guys struggle with retention. Mm -hmm. And I think that really is the holy grail and probably should be the biggest focus for someone building this kind of product, in my view. Think customer acquisition cost can be an issue with these things. So usually I would advise for people to test as much as you can, even if you do it in small batches, test what sort of keywords work and really how easy it is to get someone into the funnel. I like that she's bringing the tech in-house because I think Product is everything here. Probably it would be great to meet some of the rest of the team and just understand like, where's the product leadership? Like, how are they really thinking about making this an extraordinary product? And there are some, I think, great examples in the market already that you can look towards as role models. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. And then, yeah, it was a shame we didn't speak so much about business model. I'm not a huge fan of like sponsorship as a core part of the business model. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be able to generate significant revenues with the pure subscription. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely again, agree there. Yeah. yeah. And there again, I think testing is everything, but it's, but it's early. So I, I think they have time to do that still. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely early. Something that I was, that I'm impressed with is for their stage, her understanding of the type of personas that use the product yeah. and the way they think about that, that's very sophisticated. So this is yeah. something that I would expect for either very experienced serial founders or somebody at, at the Series A stage. Yeah. I think that's something that they put a lot of thought into and it's also really informed by the research that she's doing and by her personal experience. Yeah. So I have pretty high confidence that the, these personas actually make sense. I do believe that. And I think that's going to be a, a big advantage for them because that will actually let them test hypotheses because the problem that companies at this stage often have is they're not, they're, as you just said, testing is everything, but they don't really know what they're testing. They're basically just uh, shooting things at the wall and see what sticks, which I get. I also did that as a founder, but they they seem to have very clear and um, well thought out hypotheses. And I like that. I think that's a really strong, positive signal. And I think I would agree with basically everything that you just said. I also think that she's very strong and the way she presents what she's doing is very um, engaging. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that she's in this for the very long run. So that's definitely um, a strong point. 
and it's it's interesting when you compare with someone like Andy from Headspace, who also was like the face of the product, right? And he's the voice on the mm-hmm. audio in Headspace. And it's his personal journey too that he is sharing with the rest of the world with Headspace. I see her in that category of founder where she could really be the face of the product rather than just... just yes. Speak. Yes, she could, like, if this is something that could be the face of a movement, um, and that's what I look for in very early stage founders, it's very rare that you find that, but this is, I think this is in the cards here. And I made like a half-choking remark about Jay-Z doing content for them. Actually, that's not a joke. Jay-Z just recently set up a 85-something million dollar fund for cultural products, basically. Culture products that influence culture in a meaningful way. Uh, And I do think that many of the millennial and older artists that engage with Gen Z audiences in a, like on TikTok and on Instagram and on other platforms, they see what's going on. And what I see going on is a democratization of mental health. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're a big um, TikTok person. I am. Um, and the interesting thing about TikTok is... Within- if I was, I wouldn't say it in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I am. I really am. I, I may think- have an account. Yeah. Okay. So the interesting thing about that is within three minutes, TikTok knows what mood I'm in, right? And they always have content for that kind of mood. And it very often is very helpful. And it's all user generated, uh, or most of it is. That's a mega trend that is undeniable in my experience, not opinion, it's what I experienced. Uh, And what they're doing, it sits on that trend. But on the other hand, it could be perceived as too corporate for the audience that it's intended for. That's the problem that I see depending on how these artists that they work with, how this actually gets done. I think it's a fine line, to be honest. But I do think there's a way to do this in a very authentic way that could resonate with huge audiences. Because I can definitely think of artists where this would be an automatic fit for their audience. This is something that I have to say I haven't seen before. I haven't seen an app in this space, in health or mindfulness or mental healthness or wellness, that has built-in audiences, meaningful built-in audiences. And, and they could have that which I think is interesting. I think that's a really good point. And I'm curious about how to reach the male demographic because male suicide, obviously something that is talked about not enough, but more and more. And this app that they're building really is aimed to go after the male demographic. Mm -hmm. If you look at the beta group that they have, it's 55% male. So it's still, even though I think they've put a lot of effort into the branding, making it appeal to men also, it's by no means a large majority of users who are male. So I just wonder, I don't know, I've been going back and forth in my head on whether to this should be branded as something really for men um, mm-hmm. and, and the conversation should be around male suicide and male mental health and stigmatization mm-hmm. and that, or whether you want to do something that's more just Gen Z in general. That's a good question. I'm not sure about that probably requires market research and user testing. But that's something I'm not sure they have answered yet. Yeah, I'm not sure they know that. Yeah. I think they cannot really know that. I think the way it's targeted now is just based on her very personal experience that she had with male suicide. But that could just be a point to get started from, or it might be, or the very male presentation of the whole thing. There's definitely a, a vacuum in the market for content for Gen Z men around mental health. That is something that I'm absolutely certain about. I like it, but I agree that it might just be a jumping point, a jumping off point. They might move in a direction where it's more just Gen Z in general. Overall, I think this has a chance at being an outlier because of the way 
it sits on some cultural trends and also it's very clear that you can make money so it's, and it's rare that something has all three of these components um, but this does i think especially if their artist acquisition strategies work out this could have legs so what, what i would like to do is do just more due diligence on the business model and do a bit more uh, diligence on how things are actually going with artist conversations that they're having that is i think something that i would have to have more insight on i don't have enough information to make an investment decision but i definitely like what she's doing and i definitely like the potential business model it's not there yet clearly but i like what this could become yeah i think i'm in a similar camp to you in that i would love to dig more on their approach to product development and how they're making decisions about which mm -hmm. direction to go which features to build what mm -hmm. sort of content to produce who to target how to target them um, so that's something I'd love to get a better grip on, but I agree with you that the macro is super interesting here and really plays into some key trends that I would love also personally to be backing more and destigmatize. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Thanks for that. That was a, a good conversation. Do you know what? Let's, I want to show you something anyway, man. So let's do this Yeah, You're about to embark on a journey. A certain journey that you definitely would not have done before. This is going to change everything. This may be something you're not used to, maybe quite unusual. This is all about boosting what you view. So get comfortable, close your eyes, and just get ready for the ride. greetings tuning in the morning or the evening spoke is more than just speaking it's the part that we go deep in yeah because this is us this is you that be sitting on that bus this is one who be learning how to cuss who be really feeling like they don't really have enough i know so what are you here for because i just wanna i don't really get what's going on with me right now. what do you need I need to feel that peace, man. I haven't got it, I haven't, and I want it. Is there something that you don't think you receive? Yeah, man, just that. Like, I need to feel comfortable. I need to feel me, but I'm hearing you a bit lost. Like, I don't get the whole crystals and the ohms and mm, all of that stuff. Like, I see that, yeah. I can't do all of that. I'm too busy for that. I need something else, you know what I mean? I need something else, yeah. in the UK are done by men. And the fact is, we lean on our vices more than we do some of our friends. But the worst thing is I don't want to see you be a statistic. I love the fact that you see yourself as a misfit and 
that's your USP, man. So don't ever think it's something that won't keep you distinctive, man. You're not sleeping. And before you start leaving, know that you can do this anytime you feel you need it. And that concludes our first session of Spoke. You may open your eyes, take your time.